I need you to solve something for me. I, I, my name is Frank Pacetti. Um, I am the director of Youth for Christ in Susquehanna County. My wife and I have been members of Bridgewater and Halstead for the last seven years. Um, but in Susquehanna County, we don't swim in a creek. We swim in a crick. Anybody here swimming cricks? All right, there's some cricks. Who are creek swimmers? Crick? I think the cricks have it. <laughs> it is great to be here with you this morning. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I am the director of Youth for Christ. Prior to uh, going to Youth for Christ seven years ago, I was a youth pastor for 23 years. Fifteen of those years were down in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, and it was really cool to actually see some of my former youth group students here, and Aaron was in the first service, so that's cool, and some really good friends, the Richies that we, we grew to love over the years. Tim took longer to grow to love than, than Jan, but <laughs> sorry, Tim. <laughs> it's great to be here. I want to encourage you this morning. I know as a church, you went through and are in the midst of going through a pastoral transition. And I knew Rich, and it was no secret how much he cared about uh, Bridgewater Tunkanic. God moved him on. But here's the reality. Truth is truth whether we feel it or not. And the truth is, God loves Bridgewater Tunkanic. The truth is, God has your next campus pastor already in mind. And all we can do in the interim is trust the pastoral transition team, and pray. And interestingly enough, today we begin a new series on just that topic, the topic of, topic of prayer. Now, I, I'm used to speaking to teenagers, so for some of you, you're going to be really happy because you can't speak more than 30 minutes with teenagers or you're done. So we'll be out of here pretty quickly. See, you like that, don't you? I'm good already. I could, be, I could be the worst preacher you ever heard, but if I'm short, you're going to like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I know, how, I know how that works. Well, I love teenagers. Otherwise, I would have done what most people do, and they, they take the youth pastor route to get their feet wet and then get a little experience and then move into being a senior pastor. I never did that. And I don't know why, whether it was I, I wasn't smart enough to do that, or I'd like to think that it was the fact that I love working with students and God never took that love for students away. And I often have senior pastors come up to me and say, when are you going to become a real pastor? And I smile and I say, 85% of people who trust Christ do it before they're 18 years old. When are you going to get where the action is? become a youth pastor. I love students. Today, we're going to talk about prayer, not students, but students pray. And every time I get asked to preach at Tunkhannock, I get some topic that I cringe when I get it. The last one I preached, no lie, talking to your kids about sex. <laughs> Obviously, Matt Poozer wasn't, didn't want to do that one, so he handed that one off to me. Um, but today... I was handed the topic of prayer, and there's certainly nothing controversial or difficult about prayer. But the reality is, even as a pastor for 23 years and a youth worker for almost 30, it's not an area that I have perfected. It's an area that I have a lot of room for growth. And so um, God seems to give me those kind of topics. But I think if we're honest with ourselves here and we took a poll 
we probably would all admit that prayer is an area in our lives that we all could use improvement. It's the thing that we feel we should do more of, but the thing that we usually do less. I think for some of us, it's easier to worry than it is to pray. It's easier to, to walk in to face that problem and have your mind just start going with everything you wish you would have done differently or everything you're going to do in the future. And we spend all our time in our own minds when we have access to God and we worry we don't pray. Sometimes it's just easier. Our initial reaction is to reach out to talk to somebody with skin. We want to talk to another person before we even talk to the one who created all persons. For some of us, instead of talking and bringing our requests to God, we try to numb ourselves through comfort foods and sometimes through alcohol and drugs instead of praying. Perhaps one of the reasons we don't pray as much is, to be honest, we don't believe it's powerful. We're not 100% sure that the whole thing works. And I think one of the things that makes this topic so interesting and so different for each one of us is we all bring different personal experiences to this concept of prayer. For example, I grew up in a home where I never saw my mother or I never saw my father pray. If they prayed, it was never something they did in front of us. So for me growing up, I never had that example set for me. For others, the only time we heard God's names mentioned was in the fits of rage from one of our parents where we'd run to our room and it wasn't for prayer, it was more for safety. For some of us, we grew up in praying homes where parents prayed, but over time our prayers have atrophied, kind of like a muscle that stops being used, maybe because we prayed so long for something and God didn't give us what we wanted. Or maybe because we found ourselves in a horrible situation that we felt that God should have stepped in and intervened and he didn't. Have you ever stopped to wonder why is it so many believers struggle with something as simple as speaking? Speaking to God. The answer, I think, is a lot simpler. Yes, there are physical reasons. There's past experiences and backgrounds. But here's the reality. There's also a very real spiritual dynamic that comes to play when it comes to our prayer life. There's a tactic that's used by the enemy, and it's a very serious and very damaging and successful tactic. If you like to read about history and you read about World War II or World War I, any war for that matter, one of the very first strategic goals that a military leader has when taking on an enemy is to knock out their ability to communicate. When communications are interrupted, chaos ensues on a battlefield. And I'd like to suggest that when communications between us and God are broken, chaos also resumes in our lives. It, but it makes sense. If our enemy, who the scripture says is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, if his goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy, that John says is his goal, 
then it makes sense that he would try to get in there and mess with our ability to communicate with the one person who can fix whatever the issue is that we're facing. If he can keep us from calling out for spiritual reinforcements in the midst of a battle, then he's won. Whatever your background, it's our prayer over the next couple weeks here at Bridgewater that we'll evaluate and take any necessary steps that God puts on our heart as a result of these messages. We're not trying to give you another task for your life. None of us want another task to add to our already busy schedules, but what we do want to give you are resources that can make a difference in your life, uh, both now and as you go forward in your life. So before we open up God's word, let's pray. Father, this morning we come here with many backgrounds, different. Some of us had the beautiful privilege to grow up with praying moms and dads and grandmas. We had our role models in prayer, and for that we are thankful. For many of us, prayer is not something that we grew up with. It may be new to our faith. I pray that through this series and through your word, you would encourage us to understand the role that it is to play in our life and to recognize that you don't ever want us to stop praying. Pray that we'll have a, an enjoyable time as we wrestle with truths from your word and that we'll leave here with something to apply to our own lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's message is going to come from uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Uh, you would think that guys that spend three years with Jesus almost every single day, they obviously saw him pray. But Jesus knew, as humans, just like you or me, that they too were going to struggle with this area. And so he tells them a little story. The Bible calls them parables. In Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I could make the teenagers really happy because the reality is I could end the message right here and you have the most important information about prayer that you could ever have. You should always pray and don't give up. Do you have a prodigal? Always pray, don't give up. You have a problem with addiction? Always pray, don't give up. You have a problem in your marriage? Always pray, don't give up. Think about how different our lives would be if we were that relentless when it came to our prayer life. So Jesus is going to introduce a story that reinforces that truth, to, that we need to be people who always pray and don't give up. And he introduces us to two people. One, a widow who would not take no for an answer, and the other, a godless, indifferent judge who didn't care about God and he didn't care about people. Let's take a closer look at the text as these two characters are, are introduced. Then he said in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God or cared what people thought. Interesting. Jesus wants to teach us something about prayer, and he starts off with a guy who's a judge, who has the ability to grant people what they're asking for, and he says he's a judge that doesn't care about people, and he doesn't care about God. 
One of the things that's important to know when you're reading the scriptures and studying parables is parables are not stories with multiple different meanings in them. So you can't say, well, the judge represents this, the, per- the widow represents this. The parables have one main meaning. And Jesus already told us what that meaning, meaning was. I want to tell you a story that will help you to realize you need to always pray and never give up. So when you read this story and you read about this judge, some people get confused and think, is this talking about God. Well, it's important to know that he's not trying to equate the judge with God. The opposite is true. Followers of God are called to love like the great commandment, to love God first with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then the second, to love their neighbor as their self. So a judge that neither feared God or didn't care about people was not someone that should be equated with God. The second character in our parable is the widow. And there's a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. We've been hearing a lot about justice and injustice in our world today, but it's obviously not a new topic. We don't really know a lot about this widow. We don't know her circumstances. We don't know how long she's been a widow. We don't know why she's a widow. We don't know whether she has any children. And we don't even know what it is was the, ad, uh, the issue that she was bringing to the judge that day. The one thing we do know is that she operated within a religious system that had t- taken very careful steps to make sure that widows and the fatherless were taken care of. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, it says, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I've commanded you to do this. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow." So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. If you continue reading in Deuteronomy, it says the same thing. If you're out harvesting olives and there's more left on the vine, leave them for the fatherless and the widows. If you're harvesting grapes, same thing. Leave them to take care of the fatherless and the widow. So this widow takes her grievance to a judge who is in a system that is supposed to care for people. The text says, for some time, he refused, but he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. This guy is a lowlife. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. And he's a wimp. He's afraid a woman is going to come and beat him up. What an interesting way for Jesus to tell a story about prayer. To use the story of a defenseless, helpless widow in a wicked judge who doesn't want to be bothered with her or her problems. Anybody relate to that? Have you ever felt when you had something important that you wanted to take to God that the creator of this universe, this cosmos, was just too busy to be concerned about something that is important to you? One of the the crosses, we all have crosses that we 
bear and we carry in our lives. No one gets through life without one. One of ours has been, we've had, we have four children. Our boys have really struggled to walk with God. They battled with addiction. They've wandered far from where God is. And I want to share something with you. If you have a son or a daughter, an adult or teenager or young person that's far from God, this is how I've prayed over the last four years. Four things. They all start with the letter S. When I pray, I would pray, God, would you save my son? I never wanted to assume because they grew up in the home of a pastor or they made a profession of faith when they were five that their conversion experience was genuine. Because if we are followers of Christ, we know by the fruit in our lives. Save them. Secondly, set them free. Set them free from their addiction. Set them free from the vain philosophies of the world that they've embraced. Set them free. It's possible that they are genuine followers of Christ. And the train wrecks of their lives are the loving hand of a father who disciplines those whom he loves like a father disciplines his children. So I would pray, the third thing I would pray is that they would surrender. That they wave the white flag and surrender. And then ultimately, to serve God with all their hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. Save them, set them free, lead them to surrender, and ultimately service to you. But I'm going to be honest. There are days when I prayed that repeated prayer over and over again when I felt like it never got past the ceiling of my bedroom. Anybody relate to that? Jesus isn't telling this parable to get the disciples to suck it up and keep praying. He isn't telling them that when they pray, they're praying to a wicked judge. Actually, the opposite is true. He's contrasting his father to this wicked judge when it comes to character. In Luke 18, 6, it says this. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? His chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will not the God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He finishes up the parable and he says, listen guys, if an ungodly just eventually gives in to a persistent widow, how much more willing do you think your heavenly father is to answer your prayers? You see, as a follower of Christ, you are not just anyone. You are a chosen one. Think about that. As a follower of Christ, you are not just anyone. You are a chosen one 
What does that mean for your prayer life? It means that if God went out of his way to choose you, don't you think he'll go out of his way to listen to you also? If out of everyone he could have chosen, he chose you, I bet this means that he will listen to you as well. And not just listen to you, but answer you. On May 17th, 1986, I chose Kim Miller to be my wife. Best decision I ever made. She gives her apologies. Um, I'm probably to blame for this, but I did not write down on my calendar that my granddaughter was getting baptized today. And so she is at the service with my granddaughter getting baptized. And I'm here with you because I didn't have it on my calendar. But on May 17th, Kim and I got married. I chose her. A lot has changed in those 35 years. Probably the most obvious changes are in the area of technology. I did not own a computer in 1986. I did not own a cell phone or know somebody who owned a cell phone in 1986. I never had anybody calling me up and asking me if I wanted to extend my warranty on my car in 1986. Uh, or to see if I wanted to uh, get a reduction in my student loan, which has been paid off for 20 years. Things have changed. One thing is we get information coming at us nonstop constantly, and it pops up on my phone. I've pretty much taken the position now when my phone rings, I just let it go to voicemail. And if it's important, they leave a message, and I follow up, and I call them back. There is one exception to that, and that is when the caller ID shows that the call is coming from the one that I chose on May 17th, 1986 I answer the phone in a similar way God does not let your prayers he does not let my prayers go to voicemail he answers every one of his chosen one's prayers here's the catch and here's where we struggle he doesn't always answer them in the timing or in the way that we would like them answered so we're going to take a look at one of the four answers you will always receive from God when you pray. All right, number one, sometimes God answers yes. This is awesome. This is one we reflect on. Think about, this is the beauty of keeping a journal, because you can go back and flip through the pages, and you can see God's faithfulness in prayer over time. Sometimes it's little things. Like today, I was driving here, and I realized it was, it was raining, and my daughter's, granddaughter's baptism was outside, and I just prayed, God, would you please let it not rain for the baptism? Not thinking they're going to get wet anyway when they get baptized. <laughs> I guess it really didn't matter. Um, and it's not raining. Small thing. Sometimes it, they're medium things. Like maybe you've been praying for a promotion at work. Maybe you've been praying for a new job, and God comes through. And sometimes they're huge, huge. A knock on the door. And your prodigal has come to his senses. He wants to come home. Huge, big deal. 
you finished your second round of chemotherapy. You've had all your tests and the doctor says, you're good to go. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're big, sometimes they're medium. But God, we love it when God answers yes. And sometimes we fail to remember how many times he's answered yes because we have no way of going back and looking at it. That's the beauty of writing a journal. And for us guys who don't think it's like cool or macho to write a journal, it, doesn't, it can be on a napkin. I don't care. Just write it on the napkin, keep it on your desk or keep it wherever, and you just jot down the things you're praying for. Start marking down when God comes through. You'll be amazed and encouraged. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes... I hate to break it to you, but the answer is no. This is our least favorite answer, if we can consider it an answer at all. And I think we, as adults, have found out that we do about as good a job answering and handling the answer no as two-year-old toddlers. We hate it when the answer is no. Why? There's no way around it, folks. It's because we're we're proud. We think and we insist that we know what's best for us. And we ask for it. And when it doesn't come through, we're like, God, I know this is best for me. I'm so thankful that when my wife, as an 18-year-old in high school, prayed that she would marry the guy she was dating at the time, which was not me, I am so thankful that God said no. No's can be good. Those can be awesome. I think what we all need is humility in our prayers. We are, when we are praying, we are making requests of the one who stands above the heavens and above the earth. John says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one who spoke the word, words and the world came into existence. He's the one who knows the very numbers of hairs on our head as well as the very number of days we have on this planet. Could it be possible that in his no is this omniscient knowledge of the fact that it's not what's best for us? Here's something I really hadn't thought about until I was preparing this message. Did you ever stop to realize that God said no to Jesus? God said no to his only begotten son. The one who when the skies opened at his baptism, they heard, this is my son with who I am well pleased. God said no. And it wasn't to some simple prayer request like, please don't let it rain on my bar mitzvah. It was at a time in his life when he was about to experience the most painful, devastating, excruciating experience he would ever experience. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane preparing to endure this, this was his prayer. Abba, which means daddy, it's a very intimate Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What was taking place? 
He was asking that he would not have to endure the agony of the most excruciating form of execution that has ever existed on this planet. Essentially, he was saying, if there's any other way we can make this happen, let's do that. But if your answer is no, I understand. When we ask for things, often we ask with the wrong motivation. There was no motivation, poor motivation. There was no sin in Jesus' life. This was God's beloved son. But the answer was still no. God had something better in mind. And I think that we all would have to agree that in our case, it was the most important no that was ever spoken in this history of this world. Our forgiveness was built on that no. Good comes from no, and sometimes we forget that. Now, our motives are not always pure when we ask. So sometimes God says no to us because what we're asking for is wrong. In James 4, James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So sometimes our no's are because our motivations are wrong. In the case of Jesus, that was never the case. God knows our hearts, and he knows our tendency is to choose things that aren't necessarily best for us in the long run. Sometimes God's answer is no. The third answer we like about as much as the second is sometimes the answer is not now. We're impatient. But just because we don't see an immediate answer to prayer doesn't mean that God has said no. It may simply mean that God's timing is different than your and my timing. There's an interesting statement in Luke 18 here that kind of shows us God's view on timing versus ours. He says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Notice that word quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So he's pulling his disciples together. He says, listen, I want you to learn this truth about praying and not quitting, not giving up. And so he says to them, there's going to be a time when injustice is taken care of, when pain is fixed. And he defines that time as coming quickly, but he was referring to his second coming, which as of today is over 2,000 years from the time that he spoke that. So when God says quickly, it is very, very possible that God operates on a different timetable than you and I operate on. His answer is often yes, but not yet. So what do we do? We keep praying and we don't give up. Great book called Love Does, written by a guy by the name of Bob Goff. In it, Bob tells a story, which I'm going to read to you, because I think it illustrates how important when we're in that period of no or not yet that we don't give up asking. Bob decided that he wanted to go to law school because he wanted to be a lawyer and really make a difference in the world. The only problem is he didn't get accepted into the law school that he wanted to attend. Small problem. But that didn't stop him from showing up at the school anyways five days before classes started. He went to the school's dean to let him know that he didn't receive an acceptance letter, but he said, but that's okay because I didn't receive a rejection letter either. Bob knew that the dean could just say the right words and he could get him into the program. 
but the dean bluntly told him that it was a competitive program and that he was not accepted. But before leaving, Bob turned and he looked at the dean and he said, you have the power to let me in. I know you have the power. All you have to do is tell me to go buy my books and I can be a student in this law school. It's that simple. You just need to say these words. He didn't. Bob was discouraged, but he was not about to give up soon. He decided to sit on the bench outside the dean's office, and every time the dean walked by, Bob would say, just tell me to buy my books. Just tell me to buy my books. Then the next day, Bob showed up and sat on the bench and did it all over again. Day after day, Bob would show up outside the dean's office and sit on the bench. On the first day of classes, Bob woke up in positive spirits, thinking this is the day the dean would let him into the school. But to his dismay, the dean continued to walk by him without even giving him a glance. But Bob decided that even if he couldn't get into school for the first day of class, he'd get in a few days late. He waited on the bench for another five days after school had started until finally, 10 days after school started, the dean walked by the bench shaking his head and said, go buy your books. What faith Bob exhibited. What relentlessness. Bob could have given up on that first rejection. He could have given up on the second or third. He could have given up after five days, seven days, eight days, nine days, ten days. He knew that time was irrelevant to God. And he could do it even if it wasn't in his timing. Whatever you're asking God for right now, don't give up. The final answer we get is not like that. And let me just share a very recent personal illustration that, that illustrates that sometimes God's answers are not like that. I mentioned uh, a couple of our sons have had real struggles with their walk with God as well as with addictions. And one of our sons recently, he just got a new job and he moved out of our house on a Wednesday into a new apartment and things are looking really, really good and positive. He moved out on a Wednesday. For three days, or for almost four days, we heard nothing from him. And I've been accused of blowing up my kids' phones before, so I was very conscious I didn't want to blow their phone up. And I'm not sure none of you teens have had your parents blown your, blow your phone up uh, before. But, but I sent them a note, hey, how's, your, how's the new job? Nothing. Uh, how do you like your apartment? Nothing. Then I thought, I'll get him on this one. Hey, do you need anything for your apartment? Nothing. Nothing on Wednesday. Nothing on Thursday. Nothing on Friday. Nothing on Saturday. And if you have any experience with loved ones who struggle with addiction, that's hard. Because your mind can just start going and going and wondering what is going on. So Saturday night... Still having not heard anything. I was on my couch in the, the living room. My wife had already gone to bed. And I just got down on my knees. And I, I had a kind of an uneasy feeling. But I just started praying. And I said, God, before I get up from this prayer, I pray that you'll give me a text so I know that he's okay. Amen. Nothing. Go to bed. <laughs> wake up about 3 o'clock in the morning, reach over to the nightstand, grab my phone, nothing. Go back to sleep. It's about 6.30 in the morning. I wake up, grab my phone, 
nothing. Well, on that particular day, it was a Sunday, in the afternoon, we had made arrangements to have coffee with some friends that were in from Kentucky, catch up. We hadn't seen them in several years. Uh, we met at Zumo's Coffee House Cafe. If you've never been there in Scranton, it's out of this world. Great coffee. We get our coffees. We go and we sit down at the table. And the very first thing out of their mouth was, it was so cool to see your son in church this morning. I look at my wife. She looks at me. We just break out in this huge smile. We were asking for a text. What do you think was more encouraging to the heart of a father? Getting a text, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. You know, that's a teen's response. I'm fine. Uh, or to find out that on his own volition, without me twisting his arm, he not only went to church, but he took his roommate to church with him. God sometimes answers in different ways than what we ask. But when he does, those answers are awesome. God answers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's not yet, and sometimes it's not like that. We have two points of application we want to leave with you with today's message. The first is simply we would ask that if you don't, that you commit to praying at least 15 minutes a day. There's nothing magical about the number 15. If you've been praying zero, five minutes is awesome. So pick a number. But we're asking you to commit to at least 15 minutes a day to pray. And ask. The things that God has put on your heart in your life, ask them. And just watch him begin to answer those things. And one of the ways we want to help encourage you to see those answers is ask that you commit to keep a prayer journal over the next couple weeks. Write the things down that are important to you and watch God answer. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you hear us. We're thankful that we have immediate, direct access to the throne of grace in our time of trouble to receive help. Forgive us, Father, when we have wrongly, incorrectly concluded that you are not hearing us. Help us to accept your yeses with, with incredible gratefulness and thankfulness. Help us to handle your nose with an understanding that you know better what we need than we, do, we know for ourselves. Help us to handle our not yets with patience and grace and hope. And Lord, when you bless us with a not like that, we, we just want to praise you and thank you for coming through in ways that we couldn't even think or imagine. You are a great God. And we are so thankful that we have the privilege to be able to talk to you. I pray that we would have many, many people make a commitment today to improve the amount of time they spend in prayer and also to start recording down uh, their requests so that they can look back and be greatly encouraged by your goodness, your faithfulness, and your answers. We love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.